iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. So I've definitely, so what is it, it's Monday about three minutes past five. In the last hour, mm. I've eaten two and a half different coronation chicken sandwiches yeah. from various high street retailers uh, the quite solid chocolatey end of a what do they call it coronation colin coronation colin uh, and i feel a little bit greasy yes um <laughs> yeah i agree do you think we need to explain what coronation chicken is to people listening outside this united what's a good Kingdom? idea yeah but i'll ask you the question What's coronation chicken, Jane? Well, uh, it was a recipe conjured up to mark uh, the late Queen's coronation 70 years ago. And it is basically a very, very mild um, chicken curry, cold. It's, it's, in, it's, it's yogurt. chicken in a curried mayonnaise, yeah, isn't it? Basically, isn't it yogurt, curry powder, bit of lemon juice and some cooked chicken? Isn't that it? Yeah, and, and some mayonnaise or oil because it's quite a greasy lump it's not just yogurt yeah it's not just yogurt no. i think you can probably make a healthy version and then it. i think you put a bit of mango chutney in, and oh, some yeah. people put raisins in. some people know sultanas i think oh is. i don't like that no um and it's it's quite a hit and it's in a sort of retro um frame of mind people are bringing it back at the moment and sticking it in sandwiches and we're all just having a coronation moment of course i say that as though everybody is en fête for the big event and whilst there is a degree of interest and I sense the interest is growing it would be inaccurate to say that people can talk of nothing else Jane it? it would be a gross exaggeration to say people can talk of nothing else <laughs> and I think quite a lot of people are struggling to find other things to talk about once within the subject matter of the coronation yeah. uh, so it will be a very important ceremony and we're going to be uh, kind of quasi commentating on it, aren't we? We've got a show yes. going out on Saturday, so it will mean something when when we're there. And I'm sure lots of people will get lost in the the actual splendour of it when it's happening. I but think splendour is the right word, you know, because I think there will be an amazing amount of a pageantry, and I think the music is genuinely going to be quite brilliant. And I'm really looking forward to that. And it's let's be honest, it's a showcase for some brilliant British talent so let's hope there's lots of that on mm -hmm. display and the bits I've heard about who's going to take part and the, the very welcome diversity I think that's I think that's good and I think people might feel on the day that it actually means more to them than they might have been expecting yeah I, I could be wrong though and people might you know be bored stiff or just not bother with it which of course is one of the great things about living in what passes for a functioning democracy you can get involved you don't have to. You don't have to. Which is why I thought over the weekend, I thought this, you can swear your loyalty to the king on the sofa, was was a bit of an odd move. So you definitely, especially for our listeners outside of the United Kingdom, you need to explain the oath of allegiance and what we've been asked to do. Yes. Well, no, it's not you're not asked to do. We need to make this very clear. You are you are welcome to do it if you want to from the comfort of your own sofa as you you know eat eat you chomp your way through a substantial tube of pringles and drink some prosecco if you're lucky enough uh, and uh, enjoy the ceremonials on the box at one point during the service uh, after the king has pledged his life of service to the nation those of us more humble than him are welcome at that point if we wish to to say the following words God save King Charles. May the King live forever. Oh no, not no, quite. No, 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 no. There's a bit more to it. That's the bit at the yes. end. You do have to swear something, don't you? Yes. Here goes. I swear that I will pay true allegiance to Your Majesty and to your heirs and successors according to law. So help me God. God save King Charles. May the King live forever. That is what you are invited to do. You don't have to. So there's not going to be sending somebody around from the council mm. to watch you and your family do it. But Don't Jane, worry about it. I think we live in confusing times because you cannot sing along to Mamma Mia, but you can stand up in your own sitting room and swear an oath of allegiance. I don't know what to make of that. What do you mean you can't sing along to Mamma Mia? Well, you get too turfed out, don't you? 
Oh, if he goes to the show. Yes, yeah. yeah. So there's audience participation, very, very welcome in some circles, but very, very unwelcome in others mm. across the country at the moment. Uh, I'm sure people to whom it means something will really enjoy being able to do that, Jane. And like you say, if you don't want to do it, you really don't have to. So we'll all be fine. I'm going to be making a quiche. I don't really understand why the coronation quiche hasn't taken off. I don't know why we're backtracking into coronation chicken. I don't understand that at all. I think it's because the coronation quiche is tarragon, broad bean and, and spinach, spinach. Which I'm going to say is um, <laughs> it's all a bit 21st century. Um, well, I think it sounds gorgeous. So I don't. I don't think it does sound <laughs> well, I'm making one for you on Saturday. So uh, I think you'll like it. You'll definitely be trying it. That will be compulsory. You don't know until you've tried it. Yeah, you know those older couples where the chap looks at something and the w- the wife says, "No, you don't like that, Ron." He says, "Do I like it?" And she says, "No, <laughs> you don't like that, Ron." <laughs> Do I like it? No. All that. All that. That chain will be us on yes. Saturday. Okay. Yep. Uh, okay. Shall we just uh, pause a bit on? coronation fever and maybe place it on hold until we've actually been to it and we can come back and report on it well i don't know where about that because as the week progresses the excitement's going to mount isn't it <laughs> listeners i tried so <laughs> Uh, we did a very interesting interview today, which is going to go out tomorrow. Is that right? Yes, that's Julie McDowell. Yes. and I that, just... If you're not in the mood to celebrate, Julie's your woman. <laughs> Do you want to just explain what Julie's main thesis is? Well, uh, Julie is the author of a fascinating slice of uh, social history. It's called Attack Warning Red. And it is about the preparations that Britain made for nuclear war during the 1980s. And some of it is hilarious because it's it's ludicrous. I mean, it cl- includes nuggets like um, they're going to empty all the prisons because obviously, you know, there's no <laughs> there's nothing you can do for prisons. Plus, being in prison might be quite an attractive option because they'd have to feed you and you're quite well protected behind quite thick walls. So the idea was they were seriously worried that people would be trying to get into prisons. So they were going to release everybody from them. And there's a lovely little bit in Julie's book saying that psychopaths may be useful post-apocalyptically because they tend to have some good ideas. The whole thing is just so bizarre. <laughs> it is bizarre, but it's it's also deeply troubling. And as, as Julie says, um, she has slightly oddly, you might say, dedicated most of her working life to what nuclear war would actually mean. And as she says, the only thing that you can do is just make every every effort to ensure that it never happens mm. because to be purely practical about it britain is too small a country to withstand any sort of nuclear attack fun time jane is yes, in the building everybody that's right so that's tomorrow that's tomorrow but i wanted to mention it because uh, it's where our conversation about uh, doom laden doomsday thoughts came from yes, isn't it so yeah. there's all of that to look forward to but marina has been in touch because she wanted to talk about the end of the world. I'm 59 and remember clearly walking down my local high street, which was Rye Lane in Peckham, in about 1970, aged about seven, with my recently acquired reading skills and seeing a poster in a window of the Hallmark card shop, which sent chills down my little spine. It was a Snoopy poster and declared very loudly to this small frightened child, don't worry, the world can't end today as it's already tomorrow for someone else in the world. I remember being so reassured and relieved by Snoopy's announcement and an immediate sense of calm prevailed. It is, however, an indication of the ever-persistent fear that was all around us at that time that even a little working-class girl from Peckham was spending time thinking about this. And I suppose what fascinates me about the end of the world thing, which was revealed really with our conversation with Julie, which you'll hear tomorrow, is why it just affected some people so much more than others. Mm. And uh, quite a few correspondents have been in touch to say it is about the age thing. Uh, Those five years that are between us seem to separate a mindset, actually. Mm. And by the time I got to be a more cognizant teenager that really apocalyptic sense of what nuclear war could do might have not passed, because it still hasn't passed to this day, 
but might not have uh, appeared on the horizon so violently. And I suppose that might be the case. But I'd be quite interested to hear from other youthful 54-year-olds whether maybe it's just a psychological thing. Well, actually, you asked Julia a really interesting question about why young people, if they are invested in politics or political protest it, these days it's about the environment and we we talk about that in the interview which i think that was re- that was really interesting so um i hope people get to hear that tomorrow and i know it doesn't sound the most inviting topic but by god it's important it's very interesting uh, yeah. and it, it it really was interesting and yeah. i know coronations are not to everybody's liking so that's certainly we we try to offer an alternative on this show and i think tomorrow well it's a change of mood it today, certainly is today it's alex jones from the one show <laughs> Uh, can I just add, because Marina's other uh, part of her email is just about moving away from home, which we were talking oh, yeah. about, I think, in brief on one of the earlier episodes last week. And she has ended up from Peckham uh, going to the northern beaches of Sydney, where she's lived for almost 25 years. And she says, I often ponder the enormous difference between my slightly bleak, grey, always raining lack of nature. Where are all the trees environment of my childhood and the extraordinary beauty and privilege of living in the northern beaches? Well, she sent a Sydney. picture, didn't she? Yeah, you and it that? just I mean, looks it looks beautiful, amazing. So I think you were saying that you would never really consider moving abroad, and I'm always I find it really fascinating and just incredibly heartening that people can up sticks and have a whole life somewhere else. As some of my childhood was spent abroad with a parent mm. who lived in a different country, and so I can't do that now. I feel that I've done. I've done that in my time. I can't go and live abroad again. I wouldn't want to. But I always find it rather magnificent that people do still head off. Well, actually, that reminds me, because we were having a conversation on the radio show today with John Boothman, who's the Times man in Scotland, and he was talking about Donald Trump's visit to Scotland. And and we were talking to John about the incredible life story of Donald Trump's mother. Who never gets a look in. She never gets a look in. And I don't know what is wrong with you Scots. You've got a half Scottish American president to your name. Doesn't crop up much, does it? I mean, we we understand why, really, by the way. (laughs) Um, but um, her, I mean, she, I didn't know she was the youngest of 10 children, spoke Gaelic, is that right? Yeah, but it's an extraordinary tale. What a tale. And she, uh, how brave must she have been? I mean, let's face it, Mary McLeod, we'd rather you'd stayed. But as it happened, you went to America, met some bloke called Fred Trump, and thanks. Um, but what a story. I mean, someone's got to make a film of that, haven't they, at some point? God, happy or sad ending, Jane, which way are you heading with that? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, so if you were to take the um, the kind of the stereotypical uh, image of the doughty Scottish woman, it would be one of determination, yeah. inner strength, That's right. perspicacity, yeah. taking no prisoners, truthfulness. And I just pause there. Well, um, usually say that sometimes it skips a generation, doesn't it? Mm. Yeah, I wonder what she thinks. Looking down. No, but looking down. Oh, yes, looking down. Sorry. Looking down. Um, And this is from Anonymous. I took my daughter 20. This is a quandary, I have to say, although I don't think it's difficult to know where we stand. I took my daughter 20 months to a church playgroup. We've been to the group before, but this time the lady who usually runs it wasn't there and the vicar was covering for her. I was chatting to the vicar and he was standing very close to me, too close. I kept inching backwards, he kept moving forwards. I was then helping make the cup of teas and he squeezed past me and put his hands on my hips. He did this three times. It made me feel really uncomfortable, but I didn't say anything. I've since felt quite uneasy and also angry. I mentioned it to a couple of people who agreed it was off, but then said, he's a vicar, so what can you do? This also made me angry as I felt a bit unsupported and it kind of got laughed off. Things like this have happened to me in the past, and I've always thought it's just one of those things, but I now I feel I'm at an age, and we are in a time, where we don't have to put up with that. What do you think? Call it out. Yeah, I mean, you've got Loudly. to... That's wrong. He shouldn't do it. It's, it's really invasive to do that to somebody. And as you say, he did it three times once. I mean, we've all had the occasional incident where we've brushed up against somebody. I mean, I guess it happens, but there are ways to stop stop it happening. And I think that by the third time, I mean, I know the Lord moves in mysterious ways, but this is getting ridiculous. You know, you, I mean, no, if, if you have the strength and I appreciate it, it's not easy. Next time, if there is a next time, just say, listen, Reverend, 
Stop it. Yeah. Keep your hands to yourself. Yeah. In that moment, would you be brave enough to just turn around and say, that makes me uncomfortable? It's a really difficult one, and I'd love to say that I've always been someone who'd call out that sort of thing, but I'm afraid I haven't. Yeah. So I'm not in any way, um, if our correspondent feels that she just can't call it out, well, all I'll say about that is I've been there. So she has my sympathy. Mm. But honestly, it shouldn't be happening. And somebody in a position like that, I mean, it's it's basic. Yep. Well, it doesn't really matter who you are, but honestly, please... And also, and I, and we can cut this out of the podcast if you would would rather. But I know from one of the incidents that I know you uh-huh. have put up with that is still preys on your mind years and years oh, God, and years absolutely. later. Yeah. So in the moment, you think, "Oh, that's making me really uncomfortable." Whatever, I can't deal with it. Whatever. Yeah. But it stays with you. It stays well, with you. Well, it doesn't leave you. you. It doesn't because you feel powerless. Yeah. Because you are, uh, unless you call it out. But if you call it out. It's it's a risk. You're taking a risk and you're sticking it. So to our correspondent, I feel really sorry for you. I wish it hadn't happened, but I don't blame you remotely if this is where it ends. But I just hope that you feel better for having it having it sort of off yeah, your chest. Yeah, I hope so too. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, do you want a serious one uh, from Julia, uh, who wants to join in the discussion we were having about choking and submission oh, and yeah, sex? Oh, yeah, I thought this was really interesting. Oh, it's really... And I think she's... Uh, I think she's really nailed something here. So here goes. Uh, Just listened to the pod with Lorraine and following episode. And as a slightly younger listener, I'm 28. I wanted to share my own experiences and thoughts regarding choking in sex. First, I love Jane's comment about treating the podcast as a safe space and somewhere to make mistakes. Sometimes I strongly believe creating these spaces is the most important thing we can do at the moment to nurture a more joined up dialogue and ultimately move forward together despite the algorithms working against us. Accusing anybody of kink shaming isn't helpful and prevents others from entering dialogues and supporting movement. I've been choked by a partner on a few occasions, but I've never felt unsafe as it's always followed by a discussion with said partner about our sexual boundaries. The same way as we enjoy theme park rides and horror films, I think it's understandable to enjoy tricking your brain that you're in danger without there actually being violence. That said, I do find it disturbing that the majority of preferences in straight sex, both from women and men, seem to most commonly revolve around female submission. My personal theory is that we are in the interim of moving into a society with male-female parity in equal pay, labour and childcare, and are using sex to explore dynamics which feel familiar to us but we don't want to practice in our day-to-day lives. Just another example of our biology catching up with our culture in short. I've just, I was just looking at that as you read it out. And initially, so I, perhaps I've misread this, but our correspondent says that the occasions on which she's been choked by a partner consensually, it, that happened after they discussed it. Is that right? No, it's the other way round. I've never felt unsafe because it's always followed by a discussion. So the choking happens yep. and then they talk about it. And then they it. talk about it. Well, I guess that's the bit I'm puzzled by. Well, because I, I, I'm not going to pretend that I would ever want that to happen to me. And so that's the, I mean, I'm not sure it's quite, I don't know. What do you think? So I think you've really nailed something there, Julia, about why, I mean, aside from uh, copying the imagery of pornography, of why it might be so prevalent. And I think, I think uh, sexual relationships between people have often been a place where stuff that you can't talk about is expressed. I mean, that's one of the points of sex. It's a different language altogether. So I get that that may be where cultural differences and movements or trends or whatever uh, might be being explored. But I still can't get away from finding that troubling. Hmm. Because also for every person who can go on and have a really good discussion with their partner about what happens in bed, I suspect that there are a lot of people who can't. So if you can't explain what it is that's happening and what the boundaries are and why you're doing things, I think 
for some people, that is immensely problematic and a little bit okay. dangerous. I, I've read it again now. Yes, okay. Um, and I think she does mean that they talked about it before they did it. I have been choked by a partner on a few occasions, but have never felt unsafe as this always followed the discussion. Oh, okay. Well, whichever way round it is, does it make a huge amount of difference? Well, if if our correspondent wanted it to happen or felt that it was within her boundaries... Yes, that's better than not. Uh, absolutely, but the very... I suppose the bit that I certainly can't understand is why she'd want it in the first place. Yeah. I mean, and I'm not going... I can't... I'm, but do you understand the point that if it's about something that's out there in the ether, about the changing roles of yeah. men and women in society, about where the power balance lies, and everything is really okay within that partnership, is that an acceptable thing? Do you know, the only thing that's in my mind now is Victoria Wood and that song about Beat Me on the Bottom with a <laughs> the Woman's, Woman's Weekly. Weekly. Um, which... <laughs> It's not the same, Jen. No, <laughs> just that's exactly that's suddenly what came into my mind. God, I don't know. It's um, now I understand that what the emailer means is that nothing happened without them discussing it first. Oh, and I'm sure I that think that's, that's the, different. Yeah, slightly different. It still wouldn't be something that I'd ever want. And I suppose I'm worried about where the notion comes from in the first place. And you're right. It's it's a pornography thing. Yeah. Which and isn't to say it never happened before. I'm sure it did. But um, anyway, look, I... Uh, God, it's... Do you think it's just one of those things that you and I will just have to always remain bewildered by? Well, quite possibly. Along with, it has to be said, quite a lot else. So much else. I mean... But there's... then some other things do become clearer the more you talk about them, Well, that's they? true. I mean, there's... And not entirely unconnected, but there's a little letter in the Times today. You know the trouble that the CBI, that's the Confederation of British Industry for people outside this country, has got into lately around some really awful allegations of... Um, allegations of sexual violence and sexism within this organisation that's basically just about promoting the interests of British business. I always thought of it as a rather benign organisation if I thought about it at all and you didn't think about it at all is that what you're saying <laughs> no. Uh, uh, no you carry on because you've got a more important point to make no I mean it's it's re lately been um, riddled with with all sorts of suggestions of sexism at the CBI and here's there's a letter in the Times today from a lady called Brenda in Essex when I worked in the city as a secretary if I was told a dress suited my figure I'd have graciously taken it as a compliment that's it. And that, everybody, is the old days, the way things used to be. And there are still women, I don't think that Lady Brenda is alone, who just think, oh, there's nothing wrong. I mean, I've, I've interviewed women who say, well, in the old days, people used to pinch your bottom by the photocopier. It was just a bit of fun. Well, I mean, that gives full licence to our vicar, doesn't it, at the playgroup. It's, you know, it's it's extraordinary how there are still people, women, not just people, women, willing to defend or attempt to explain away mm. that bizarre sort of behaviour. So I think that is exactly my worry about new sexual practices. For every decent man who understands the boundaries, I think there is, and well, the evidence is just there. Not tiring all men with the same brush here, but rough sex going wrong or being used as some kind of a mm. defence in mm. appalling cases... Uh, where men have made an assumption about how they can behave with women. That's my. That's exactly my problem. That is the very, very thick end of that thin yeah, end. That starts with, uh, and also, I'm going to say that Brenda, experiencing a slight thrill at somebody complimenting the way a dress looked on her figure, can any woman honestly say they've never felt that thrill? Honestly, no. But I'm. Sh I'm sure they. I'm sure they yeah. can't. What but... a confusing place the world is. <laughs> and I think what we've managed to do is to contrive to make it a lot more confusing. No, but the point about the thrill thing is it's just not appropriate at work. That's what so many women are, are now able yes, to say. Of course it's not it? appropriate at work. I mean, you've got, yes, you've got awful things going on and you've got handsy vicars and you've got people <laughs> who, you know, it's it's just, oh, it's, yeah. Honestly, I don't know why. I don't know how any of us get out of the house in the morning. <laughs> I really do. Well, what with that and nuclear annihilation? Exactly. <laughs> uh, shall we just talk to Alex Jones? No wonder we're at our happiest chatting to Alex from the One Show. <laughs>
<laughs> and we were very happy, weren't we? Uh, she came she in to see great, us. Actually. Yeah, she's got a new show out. It's available on uh, the Player of I, uh, and it's called Reunion Hotel. And it does exactly what it says on the tin, and it brings people together. And that can be everybody from the man who saved a woman who'd fallen onto the tracks of a tube station, which is a remarkable story, uh, to finding a long lost adopted brother. And all of these moments are filmed under what I think, and I know that you agree, is the very kind gaze and warm heart of Alex Jones. She's just really good at her job, isn't it? Which is putting yeah. people at their ease. She, well, she is one of those effortless, it looks like it might be fun to be with her type of TV presenter. Yeah. And if her demeanour when she came in here is anything to go by, that is what yeah. she's like. Uh, she popped in to see us to tell us all about that. Uh, we talked about lots of things, though, from her non-presence on Twitter uh, to the sometimes very odd juxtaposition of stories on the one show. Oh, singing seals. And we started by asking her what she'd been up to that day. I've been in the soft play, oh, as per usual. lucky devil. This is my Monday morning, you see. It's like I flip between motherhood and, you know, trying to be a professional. <laughs> All in the same day. But I'm sure you're a professional mother as well. Are you, are you a good active player in the soft play zone? I mean, I get in, if that's what you mean. That's what I'm asking. Yeah, really. I'm in yeah. the balls, I'm through the tunnels, you know. But ideally, I'd like to sip a coffee on the side and be more spectator. But the age of the child doesn't allow that quite yet. Now, your youngest is, we've just established actually, 19 months. Yes. So realistically, uh, your last visit to such a facility will be in a two years' time? I think this is a very mean line of question. No, I just want to... Well, I've two been there, so years. It's just quite fun looking back. Hang on, let's, let's think now. <laughs> oh, gosh, I think you're right. And I've been there for six years already. Wow. Mm. Yeah. Mm. It is quite strange, actually, isn't it? The amount of time that you spend in playgrounds. How grateful you are for the playground at the beginning of the childhood experience and how incredibly grateful you are to see the back of it. About yeah. Is it a bit sad, though? Is it a bit sad? When Do you know what is sad? And I think we've already talked about this, but the last time your child willingly holds your hand in public. Oh, don't. I have nightmares about that already. Oh, it's, it's, it's sad. It is sad. And it never, it's not going to come back, really. And you know, it's that thing, isn't it? When you don't know when will be the last time. Yes. And that's true for everything in it life. It is, it is true. But if we did know, I think we'd just find it incredibly difficult to cope with it, wouldn't we? Wouldn't we try and put it off and, and yeah, put it off? It would be overwhelming. Yeah. I mean, Teddy at 18, I'd be like, give me your hand, Ted. <laughs> give me your hand. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you look very, very well on it. Oh, uh, gosh. How are you managing to, and this is a absolute, I would like to think, classic kind of one show link. How are you managing to look so well whilst dealing with extreme motherhood and also filming your new show oh, Alex. Gosh, that's brilliant. Oh. <laughs> see you say that and this is the truth about that and my mother can be and she won't mind me saying quite passive aggressive um it's a typical welsh mother trait to be honest was that mine i'm so sorry if do it was. check it because it, it's bound to be something more important than it'll this. be do something you want like to? my husband asking what he should buy from sainsbury's oh well we could help him with that let me see let's have a look let me see i'm so oh. sorry oh gosh it's not i don't think it is mine is it's it? not mine i haven't got mine with me oh, there's sunglasses oh. everything comes out this pocket dummies oh. it might be mine oh it's my friend michelle how is she she's in soft play now oh. there you go Nothing to report. Just okay. normal. She's Monday hovering morning. by the overflowing nappy bin. Just a little cry for help. And the see, new I'm not show. That professional. The new show. So, Reunion yeah. Hotel. So, um, we filmed it last summer and I absolutely loved it because it's, you know, it's got beautiful stories, which I'm sure we'll get into in a second. But all I can see when I look at it is terrible hair. And my mother said, Oh, it's a shame you didn't think to do your hair before you started filming. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> well, what's wrong with your hair? Well, it needs a colour. I mean, that's basically the that's what she said. It needs a bit of yeah. colour in it. Do you, do you know what? I think the, the issue with, with mothers and their daughters' appearance is usually that they feel, we make them feel older than they want to feel. I if, think you're right. If we're displaying any signs of ageing ourselves. Completely. And I said, Mum, Annie was a tiny baby. Uh, without going into it, Charlie was not very well at the time, my husband. There were another two children and a full-time job. And she went, I know, but still, sometimes you just need to prioritise. 
Well, I thought your hair looked lovely, and because you'd done that clever thing where it's curly but not too oh, curly, I thought your outfits were very nice as well. Thank I was going you. to ask you about the green dress. Oh, actually. the green dress. Yeah, well, I frankly, like I want to burn that green dress because oh. I see I've gone off because I wore it so much. But it is a, it's a pretty colour, isn't it, for summer? Yeah, so it was mm. very nice. It was very flattering. You can have it. No, well, I think you're a slightly different size to me. But yes, if I want to look like I've got drunk in the dressing up box, then, then that would be my go-to. <laughs> Wouldn't be the one. first time, would it? Um, what's nice? Can I just say this is a genuinely life-enhancing show, isn't it? And there aren't that many of them on television. It's very watchable, and it contains a range of experiences. Some of which are really, you know, the things that you really would hope would never happen to anyone you cared about, and others that, frankly, we've we've all done. I mean, there's, there are examples of just old friends having just slightly lost each other in the course of life and then you manage to bring them together again. And I think almost everyone's had one of those experiences. I think so. I mean, the stories, well, as you said, you know, it, it is sort of, it does, I don't know, remind you that there is a lot of kindness out there, yeah. a lot of good, and there are fewer and fewer programmes, actually, that you can watch and genuinely have a little warm feeling at the end of it, which is really what we all want when we watch TV. Um, so it's like it's like a warm hug, really, isn't it? Um, and as you say, stories that are reconnecting, you know, friends. There were these um, women on last week and they'd been to the... They were the first group of women to get to the Antarctic. Yeah. And it was an incredible story. But really, it was the challenge aside. It was about how people just go through something mega together and then lose connection and you know for no reason really but they just they just lost each other somehow and then bringing them back together was really interesting to watch the dynamic between these women who had this one experience that really glued them together but then of course life happens and they'd just lost contact and you know it happens to lots of us doesn't it yeah other stories are you know very very moving um there was a father and daughter who'd been looking for each other last week and we managed to find both parties and introduce them. And that is a mad thing to introduce a father and a daughter. Yeah. Uh, it, uh, can I ask, does that happen for real on camera or have they already met? 100%. Right. So okay. the show is filmed. Um, they, they call it a rig show. And I wasn't sure what that meant before we started filming. But all the cameras are hidden. And actually, it works really nicely because the minute anybody, myself included, sees a camera person and a director and a sound person and there's action and you do slightly get a little bit more tense so the conversation isn't as free-flowing maybe but because the cameras are hidden mm. you really get to the heart of the story much quicker and it's a more honest conversation because nobody's on edge they know the cameras are there but you can't see them and all the reunions happen as they're happening so it's live essentially mm. um we don't reset. It happens as it happens. And I think there's a huge responsibility making shows like this. You know, these people had waited a lifetime to meet. And I can't believe that they did it on a television programme. It's not something I might do, but they did. And it happens for real. And gosh, it was it was beautiful. Well, it was. I mean, the dad, um, it was a very, very... Uh, what he actually did with his daughter, who he'd never met, who was, I think, a mother herself, wasn't yes. she? So he, he kind of just sort of patted her on the back. There wasn't some big uh, effect, show of affection, but it was an incredibly paternal gesture. He mm. just went up to her and just said, oh, no, don't, don't, don't worry, don't get upset, and just patted her co fairly consistently on the yeah. back, at which point I did, I did lose it. I think anybody watching would have felt that. Oh, and I lost it, moving. knowing that it was come in. Yeah. And I think, you know, those adoption stories, Stories. We have seen them before, but they never fail to move people, mm. I think. Uh, there's also visible counselling in the programme, which I really liked, Alex, because mm. so, I think that helps the viewer to know that nobody is being made vulnerable mm. through television being slightly made to be more or less of themselves mm. for television or actually being harmed by television full stop. Well, it's one of the things I worried about, you know, when, when we started making the programme, I thought, what's the duty of care here to these people? Because television isn't important in the end. You know, these are big life moments. And I really applaud these people for wanting to do it on television. Um, and I thought, oh, you know, we need to make sure that they cared for before, during and after. 
and actually they'd found some brilliant people, two counsellors, Dee and James, um, with their own stories as well to tell. You know, they've they've lived a life, the pair of them, as most therapists have. And then um, an adoption specialist as well, who is there to guide the father and the daughter sure. and the two brothers we saw in the first episode, Lee and Stephen. You know, she guided them through this process, which one can only imagine how emotional it is and you know to to find out suddenly that you have a brother from nowhere i mean you can't imagine it can you when you've you know um but we've got these three people in place and they play a considerable role in the series and i think it's great that they're there they're a presence and for anybody who'd maybe want to be part of another series they know that they're in safe hands you know and the television side of it was always secondary to their experience and after the reunion was done, I'd go in, have a chat with them, and then they'd have supper or they'd have lunch or whatever, and then the cameras would stop and they'd have however long they'd want to reconnect until they felt organically ready to sort of move on from that situation and, you know, leave the hotel, which I thought it was nicely done. Yeah. Is it pure coincidence, Alex, that the hotel's in Wales? <laughs> It might be. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think so. No, I don't think so. It's, it's stunning up yeah. there. Bandit it's a wedding country. venue, it is. Is it? Okay. Um, yeah. And that's why they sort of could block book it, you know, when there was no weddings. Um, but yeah, a lovely place. And how nice that it was so... It wasn't over the top, as you've seen. Not over the top, sumptuous, but it's comfortable. Oh, and I think it creates I a lovely the environment. Were lovely. Oh, yes. they were lovely. Oof. Yeah, very I mean, high pillow. And count. I don't really like a bridal suite normally. I, I've got something against a bridal suite, which is odd. But whenever somebody goes, oh, we'll take you to the bridal suite, oh, I go, oh God, my heart slightly sinks. And then here we go. All those brides. All the brides. <laughs> what happened? Why, yeah. Well, let's, quite. Let's yeah. investigate this further. Is it? Is it because? <laughs> is it because you feel the kind of the ghosts of you know uh, mm. wedding nights past? Or yeah, maybe the expectation, and then the expectation not living up to the reality. I don't know. Oh, surely no one has a wedding night these days. Do well. They? We didn't. I mean, I'm happy to say that we didn't. I mean, we were too drunk, of course. Oh, okay. I meant that you you were you appeared to be telling us that you may not have been a virgin on your wedding day, Alex. But that can't oh, be the oh, truth. Oh no, no, don't be silly. <laughs> Good grief. No, <laughs> <laughs> Voiceover describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. Voiceover on settings, so you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar. Double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Alex Jones uh, was on the programme today, and once we'd talked about the new show, Reunion Hotel, and a bit about the one show too, we wanted to talk to her about her family life. She's got three small kiddies, she does an awful lot of work, and her husband, uh, Charlie Thompson, who is a chef, he got Lyme disease uh, a year back, which is a horrible, Mm. horrible, debilitating thing. And as Alex explains, uh, it then marked a bit of a descent for his mental health too, and he had a very bad bout of depression. Well, we found out last year, so last summer, or, you know, it, it was a difficult time. When you were filming? When we were filming. Yeah, okay. uh, he wasn't well. Um, and, um, I mean, that impacted on his, you know, on his mental health. And it was difficult, you know, as a family of five with three young children. It is a lot to navigate. And there'll be lots of people listening who can completely understand, you know. It's just like every day, as you know, is quite full on anyway with the pressure of work and children and all the rest of it. And when you add something else into the mix, God, it really destabilises things quite quickly. Um, but we've come through it and he's much better. 
um, and getting better all the time, mm. which is brilliant. I thought you said something so important about dealing with it, though, uh, which was simply to admit that there were lots of times when he tried to talk to you about what was going on in his head where you simply couldn't understand. No. It wasn't that you didn't want to. It wasn't that you hadn't read the books. It wasn't that you're not clever enough to. You simply couldn't understand what he was saying. And I think sometimes we... We forget that. We feel that we can explain everything now, can't yep. we? But depression can simply remove you from another person's world. Yeah, I feel. I mean, I feel quite lucky that I haven't had that much experience of it, I suppose. And we are people, we're a couple that talk. You know, telly goes off many nights of the week and we have a good chat because we like a good chat. And so, you know, we're good in terms of connecting on that level, but... I just didn't have experience of what he was talking about. And I thought, but surely he'll be fine. You can feel all right. And he was like, oh, it's just not that easy. Al. You know, and I couldn't, I just couldn't get it. Um, and I think we all expect to get it because we talk about it so much more. We talk about it more openly than we did before. But I think experience is everything as per anything else. Yeah, I mean, and it's a cliche, but maybe it's even significantly harder for men to talk about it. Yeah, may, yeah even though he is he's a good talker you know and he's got good mates that he can talk to that's good yeah. and um you know he, he's got a really good relationship with his parents so they do talk things out as a family so i think you know uh he was well placed in that way to have lots of people to go to but still i think the person you want to understand is the person you're living your life with you know and i do now gosh a load better because i just forced myself to research 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 you know and and find out but i think until you've you know until you've walked a day in their shoes it's it's difficult to understand exactly what's going on yeah uh, and having young children in the mix as well i mean it doesn't matter how much you love them um they are exhausting and they i mean i, I genuinely do not know how you manage to keep your i have to say very cheery showbiz <laughs> show on the road because you are a you know the one show is a significant factor actually in the lives of a lot of people in britain it marks that you know, the day is over, the evening has begun, the tough bit's probably behind me. Yeah. I want to relax now in the company of people I regard as friends. And, you know, you are that person to a lot of people. Well, thank you. That's, I mean, that's really kind of you to say that. But I think, you know, sometimes home can feel, you know, especially at that time, a bit like a pressure cooker, you know. And I think a lot of people's homes feel like that. It's busy, it's full on, you know, it's relentless. And I wouldn't change it for the world. But coming to work is easy in comparison. I mean, it's like a day out, isn't it? You get a coffee, you have a little chat, yeah. you know, and so I suppose... Usually however, no one needs their nappy change. Exactly, nobody needs their nappy change. If they do, that's a good story. <laughs> but, you know, you're amongst friends and, you know, in our case as well, we're lucky. Um, over in the one show, a lot of the girls I work with, I've worked with for years and years and years, we've all kind of moved through the stages at the same time. We've all had children at the same time. And so... You know, it's that thing where you can have a good chat. You know, we sit in the makeup room, have a good chat, decompress. And then by the time we're on telly, I feel absolutely fine. I know it's a, it's a classic question about the one show, but those those mood changes, Alex. The gear had, changes. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know. That's from what we call them. Bulimia. <laughs> walrus, walruses. Yes, you know, it's, yeah. it's, um, it's a masterclass, really. Um, do you ever want to laugh? Oh, all the time. And I think I do sometimes. Well, it has been known. I mean, yeah. I can't sometimes, I can't look at Ronan Keaton because he's just got this energy, whereas I, I don't even have to look at him to know that he started losing yeah, it. Yeah, okay. And I think, right, don't look at him, don't look at him. So, look at him. And I'm thinking of all the sad things. Yes. Cat dying, yeah. potential of cancer, all of it. Yes. Trying not to laugh and sometimes it's impossible. But I think as a programme, you know, like everything over the last decade or so, it's evolved quite a lot. And I think those gear changes, as we call them, and sometimes they'll be in the auto queue when you'll see them come in, big laughters, <laughs> gear change, or oh, sad. Oh, they do, they literally write that for you. <laughs> yeah, or yeah. sad. Sad. Good one. Big sad, yeah. Okay. <laughs> change your face, sad. And have any of the kind of guest presenters ever read those things out? Thankfully not, but I do okay. know of people who've done that, and yeah. that would be... Highly funny if somebody did. It would do that. Sad. Today, news that. Are you on the one show very much building up to the coronation? Oh, very much. You can imagine. Well, I can imagine. In the thick of it. Yes. Okay. I mean, get those sandwiches at the ready. We are raring to go. Will you be making the flan? 
No. The quiche, the coronation quiche. No. no. No, Alex, what a disappointment. I Jane. know, I know. I'm not very bad. domesticated, <laughs> much to Mary Berry's absolute horror. She's tried her best and no, I mm. just, no, I'm not. I can make a cucumber sandwich. You know, that's what all you need, need, isn't it? And, yeah. some, and some fizz. <laughs> and have you ever been mistaken in a comedic way uh, for the extremely right-wing, absolute idiot Alex Jones, all the, the time. conspiracist? In what, in what kind of settings? Well, that's why I'm banned from Twitter. Oh, yeah. Because they assumed we were one and the same people, which, you know, hopefully it's very clear to most people that we're not. And then I couldn't be bothered to explain, so now I'm banned as You're well. You're banned? Yeah. <laughs> it's actually it's spectacular. 21st century development, isn't it? Yeah. Do you know what? We were yeah. having a conversation about Twitter uh, in the production office outside. I mean, if you weren't banned, would you be getting your knickers in a twist about the blue tick? I couldn't care less. I mean, that's awful to say, isn't it? No, but there's so much so stuff to consider and to, you know... No, it's just so far down on my list of priorities. I'm like, oh, whatever, blue yeah. tick. Don't worry about blue tick. I can't even access Twitter. That's... <laughs> Yeah, and actually, well, Fee, you've deleted your account, haven't you? Have I, you? I deactivated my account yeah. uh, because I just feel uh, I just feel bizarre about giving Elon Musk any money or being part of a thing that's going to give him lots of money. I think it's an odd thing. I mean, you know, I know lots of people are kind of for it because it stops people from replicating people's accounts. Mm. But my experience of Twitter, and I've never had any kind of hassle on it. People are generally quite nice about the show. You know, I'm lucky in that way. But I think there's an odd community on there. It's not particularly positive. No. And I think I can do without that. Yeah. And also, I just really objected to the only people with a million followers are going to get this kind of verification in the future. And for me, the joy of Twitter was people way, way below yeah. the people who sought out celebrity. It mm. was that genuine feeling you could bump into someone who had an interesting point of view I think, there. though, also, once you're introducing money to it, it's a bit of a weird thing, isn't it? It's Paying for a blue tick is an odd thing. Yeah. I, it, I mean, is the idea of a blue tick altogether an odd thing? I don't know, really. Um, but since I'm banned, I haven't thought too much about it. Yeah. Well, yeah. well look, you can you can live in a celebrity world without having a blue tick or being on it's Twitter. It's actually really... No, it's liberating. It is liberating. liberating. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. I'm going to deactivate my account yeah. as well. Get Let's rid. get in there. Get rid. Uh, and, of course, your, your kids, you, you may... And I don't blame you, by the way, for getting a little bit, um, well, unenthusiastic about soft play, but at least they're not, they don't have, they're not in the social media age quite yet. No. And I actually fear for you, Jen, and I don't mean this in a horrible way, but about what might lie ahead for, for yeah. kids in five, ten no, years' I'm, time. Honestly, especially when we had um, Annie, I just thought, oh my goodness, you know, this is it's really scary. I'm hoping, in my sort of positive thinking, that it'll sort of go round in a circle. And by the time Annie becomes sort of 14, 15, that the whole thing would have imploded on itself and stopped because it's so out of control, the whole thing. Um, but yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm on Instagram. I quite like it, but I, I don't spend hours a day on it. Yeah, okay. What was the last thing you bought as a result of seeing something on Instagram? Because, <laughs> Fee, what did you get? So about 6.30 this morning, I ordered myself a spandex camisole that's going to banish my love handles, muffin tops. It's going to accentuate my cleavage. It's going to solve <laughs> world peace. I can't wait. It's Me. going to tidy up my pantry and all will be good in the world. I, I kind of want to see this on because I can't imagine a camisole. A camisole usually it's feels quite, loose. It's one of those ones, you Not know, where one. people do Not that stretchy one. thing. Look at how stretchy it is. And you think, what wow. is that made of? You yeah. have to wonder why that advert popped up. I mean, what are you talking well, about? Just to illustrate the difference between us, the last thing I bought was a really sharp implement to remove cat hair from chairs. But also, satisfying, also I bet. Also, before breakfast, I bought it. <laughs> and very satisfying. Girls. Works a dream, actually. You are, you know... So, what you, was the last thing you bought? <laughs> what can I say? Um, what did I... Weirdly, you're going to think this is really odd. A plate. Okay. Just one? Not to eat off. Oh. Uh, yeah, no, see? Yeah. Um, a decoration plate. Oh. I've got to that age where I now buy plates and pot plants. Okay. Mm. I just have a bit of a problem and we're going to have to book you again because we don't have time to pursue this. But go with on. With a decoration plate. I know. Where are you going to put it? My husband said, now I feel like we need to end this relationship now. If you're mm. buying plates. Is it a coronation commemorative plate? No. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> I thought it might be. I would understand no, no, that. No, no, no. It's got a badger on it. 
It sounds horrible, but it's actually oh. lovely. Okay. Yeah. Right, thank you, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> Best of luck in everything you do. Thank you. <laughs> Take your badger plate away. Alex Jones with her badger decoration plate. I actually might go home tonight and scroll through Instagram in the hope of seeing that plate. Well, um, if you could get me a plate commemoratively celebrating both badgers and the coronation. So a badger with a crown on, I would like it, please. There'll be one somewhere. I always remember when I hear about badgers that there was a lady who used to go to DEFRA at um you know the which is the department of food rural, rural affairs, affairs fisheries and rural affairs uh are protesting about badger culling dressed as a badger and she always said that when michael gove was secretary of state at defra he was always scrupulously polite and would always greet her every morning mrs badger very good morning good morning mrs yep. badger yeah <laughs> and manners are important yeah but presumably that's uh, that's why he can't go outside to have a fag because he might be attacked by the badgers. Because he's had a special smoking shed built, hasn't he? Has he? On the roof of his department now. Which I think is quite something. Who's paid for that? <laughs> well, I hope he has. Otherwise it's as scandalous as Liz Truss <laughs> and her friends taking the bathrobes home from Chevening. Liz Truss, former Prime Minister. <laughs> Just going to pet back. Let that sink in. How did we let that happen to ourselves? Right. Mind you, worse things have happened. They really have. Okay. Good night. Bye. Bye. You did it. Elite listener status for you for getting through another half hour or so of our whimsical ramblings, otherwise known as the hugely successful podcast Off Air with Jane Garvey and Fee Glover. We miss the modesty class. <laughs> our Times Radio producer is Rosie Cutler, the podcast executive producer. It's a man, it's Henry Tribe. Yeah, he's an executive. Now, if you want even more, and let's face it, who wouldn't, then stick Times Radio on at three o'clock Monday until Thursday every week, and you can hear our take on the big news stories of the day, as well as a genuine interesting mix of brilliant and entertaining guests on all sorts of subjects. Thank you for bearing with us and we hope you can join us again on Off Air very soon. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings so you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone.